There's a story in the Bible that I find myself reflecting on a lot. It's a story found in Acts chapter 16, and it's the Apostle Paul. They're bringing the gospel to different regions of the world. And they had this plan. Paul and his companions, they were preparing and planning to go in a certain direction. And it's, the story is as they're moving in a certain direction, they wanted to go west. But the Holy Spirit, it says, prevented them from going in that direction. And then it says they pivoted and they wanted to go north. And it says the Spirit of Jesus hindered them from going north. And then something amazing happens, right? In the middle of this tension, in the middle of this tension between what human beings wanted to do and what God wanted to have happen, God breaks into the scene with a vision. And Paul gets this amazing vision of a man standing on the shore. And the vision, now in Acts, there's not a lot of visions recorded. So they do stand out. And and there's this vision of a man standing on the shore. And he's calling out to Paul. And he's, he's described as someone begging him, pleading with him. And here's what he says. Come over here and help us. Now, I reflect on this. And and just thinking about it again, it just starts stirring my blood because there's, there's things happening in the story, but what shocks me are those words, or the word, help. Come over here and help us. Do you know who he was talking to? A man standing in Macedonia, standing in what we would call modern-day Greece. It was the epitome of the empire. It was the pinnacle of the empire. The greatest philosophers came out of Greece. Aristotle, Plato, uh, Socrates. They, They had some of the greatest orators. They had some of the greatest artists. They had some of the greatest architects. Think of the Parthenon. They had some of the greatest playwrights, Euripides. In fact, one historian said it this way, if Greece didn't have it, they invented it. Come help us? Kind of reminds me a little bit of our own country. The Statue of Liberty, the words, you know, bring us the the tired, right? Bring us the weak, right? Come. But it wouldn't be the Statue of Liberty extended. It would be the Statue of Liberty with a man or a woman on her knees pleading, come help us. The United States, the greatest country in the world where we have some of the best education, we have some of the best technology, we have some of the strongest scientists, come help us. That's kind of the picture that's there. But if you know the story, the Apostle Paul does pivot one more time, and he breaks into Greece, bringing the gospel for the first time in the history of the world to Europe. An amazing story, an amazing concept. Now, all of us, right, we we see and sense the Spirit of God working. 
But part of why this passage excites me is, how did the Spirit stop them? Was it just a gentle nudging? Paul, we don't want you to go west. Paul, we don't want you to go north. Or was there something stronger out there? Was there word that there was great danger and don't go there so he pivots? Was there something that was being told him that there was something that they should avoid? The scriptures don't give any of that. But what we begin to know is that God has his plans and purposes for them and for you. He has big things. So what was it that they didn't have? That they're crying out, help us. It's the same thing our country doesn't have. That we could say the same thing, help us. You know what it is? And do you know how we know what it is? Well, that's what we're going to find out this morning in the Scriptures. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we're continuing through the book of Romans. And of course, it's one of the greatest letters. It's one of the gifts God has given this world. It's something the world needs to hear. And as we have pushed through, we're beginning to see that God's plan is unfolding just the way He wanted. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in Romans 15, verse 1, We, we who are strong in faith, ought to bear with the failings of the weak in faith and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we dig into your word this morning, Clear away the clutter. (laughs) Remove the distractions. Let us see and hear what you have for us this morning. God, let us not only hear it, but that we would receive it and walk in it with courage and a demonstration of faith that we might find what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Grab a seat. Well, as we look at this passage, right, there's a lot that has been going on. We've pushed through Romans 14, and in Romans 14, we see that there's this tension that was in this church, right? There was the weak in faith on one hand, and there was the strong in faith in the other. And and a lot of what Paul is writing is, is pushing towards the strong in faith, right? He wants both of them to hear but he's speaking more directly, correctly to the strong in faith. And he's telling them, do not despise or look down or condemn the weak. And then he says, do not offend them. The strong in faith, 
do not destroy, do not trample on their faith. It's so easy to do, and Paul's warning them, don't do that. But his main concern, as we saw last time, was unity. He wanted this unity of the faith. So on the one hand, you have the weak in faith, and you have the strong in faith. Now remember what the weak in faith we said about them. The weak in faith, were not people that misunderstood the gospel. What they struggled with was to receive the full gift or the full impact of the gospel. So very differently than the people in the church in Galatia, when you read the book of Galatians, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How could you turn away from the true gospel? That's not what's happening here. These people understood that Christ, the Messiah, died on the cross to pay the penalty of their sins. They understood that, but what they failed to appreciate was all that Christ did to set them free. And the strong in faith, most of them Gentiles, understood the full impact of this. And so what we see in Romans 14, in the section we're going to study today, is that Paul is after unity. He's wanting to bring these groups together. Now this is not easy to do when there's strong division in a body. And that happens, and we've seen it, and I gave illustrations last week, that there can be these divisions. And what Paul wants to do is say, hey, instead of the weak in faith showing up at 9 o'clock and the strong in faith come at 10.30, let's keep them apart. He says, no, let's bring them together. And unity becomes the driving element. It's the gospel, right? If the Son sets you free, Jesus said, you shall be free indeed. So it's about liberty. Well, here's the first idea that we begin to see, that passage we just read, was let us love others by putting them first. I want to state it in the sense of the positive. Let us love others by taking a back seat to ourselves. Let us think more about others than we do about ourselves. This is why I love Fox Valley Church leading with mission. We're constantly thinking about people in our community. Why? Because we spend the bulk of our money, the bulk of our time, and the bulk of our energy on us. And if we don't keep a focus looking out and caring for our community, it'll get lost in the shuffle. And churches that begin to focus on themselves, guess what happens? Division disunity, because they're not going to agree on the color of the paint. They're not going to agree on the kind of chairs that we should have. They're not going to agree on the kind of space. But if you keep looking out there and saying, hey, let's reach them. So this morning before the service, a brother came up to me and he told me a story about uh, he's at work and he gets the opportunity to share the gospel. But you know what happened to him? He's meeting with this person and the spirit starts to nudge him. The Spirit began to touch him and say, it's, it's time. And then he brings the gospel. But then the next part that really excited me was the Spirit said, you need to ask if she wants to trust Christ right now. And guess what? He obeys the Spirit. The woman responds and says, yes, I'd love to pray right now and trusted Jesus Christ. So isn't that beautiful? I mean, let's just thank the Lord. And let's thank the Lord for obedient people that are, are responding to these urges, these nudges, sometimes visions, sometimes these other things where the Spirit begins 
to work in our hearts. So let us love others by putting them first. Let's look a little closer in verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, right? We, we need to bear with them. We need to set aside our own desires not to please ourselves. Look what he says in verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors, right? We, we need to look out for the other person. We need to embrace them. Why? For their good and for their building up. Now, I want to pause just for a moment because probably you're feeling a tension in this passage. And I would state the tension a little bit like this. Do the weak in faith get to hijack the church. In other words, is the church always forced into the narrowest Christian or the weakest of the faith? You've felt that tension in the passage, right? If I've got to keep bearing with the weak, if I have to keep putting them first, doesn't it seem like the church is going to get hijacked by people with the narrowest view or the people with the the, the weakest faith. And my response to that is if we read the passages carefully, starting in chapter 14, and even as we continue today, what Paul gave was some good counsel. he, He said, keep it to yourself. Keep it between you and God. Don't flaunt it. So no, they can't hijack it. It requires a lot of discriminating work by the believers to say, hey, what do we do? So Paul and the church in Corinthians, when they were having their conflict, he said, you know, you, you have so much conflict around eating meals together. Why don't you eat at home and then come and worship together? You see, there's counsel in what he's giving here, even in Romans 14. He was saying, you know, keep it to yourself. Don't flaunt your freedom. Don't post it on Facebook. Don't make it a big part of your blog. Don't always press your views against everybody and everything. Even though you have the freedom to do it, think about others for a change. Think about what they need so that you can come together in freedom. So what he's interested in is the good of others, and it's good for the strong in faith to be able to express theirs, and it's good for the weak in faith to be able to express theirs, but we need to build each other up, and here he's talking about the weak in faith or our neighbors, that we need to be doing things for their good. So no, they can't hijack it. No, they can't control it. So what Paul is trying to do is is bring these groups together in unity and help them live with understanding what's going on in each of them, appreciate the differences, but don't let it control the church. And that's where the skill of your elders come in. Please constantly be vigilant in praying for the elders, the leaders of this church, right? Because they have to discern, they have to discriminate, they have to make decisions on all of these kinds of things. But now, Let's just take a moment and dig in a little tighter, right? Verse 3 says, even Christ did not please himself. See how Christ laid down his desires, it says in verse 3. But now verse 4, 
It says, for everything that the Old Testament, for everything that was written in the past, that's the Old Testament, everything that was written in the past, talking about the whole Old Testament, look what he says, it was written to teach us. So many people aren't spending time in the Old Testament and reading these stories. Do you ever notice how many stories are in the Old Testament? The Bible is rich with stories. Even the one I told you this morning in Acts chapter 16. Now why are stories such a prominent part of the Bible? Well, you know why. They draw us in. They grab our hearts. They, they kindle our imagination. They get us excited about what God is doing. And so you, you, you can start reading these, these stories. And Paul says everything that was written in the past, it was written, written to teach us so that we would learn. But then look what he says, so that, skipping that next section, we might have hope. Hope. We all need hope. So when you read the story of, of saints of the past, it, it, it's so encouraging to be thinking about these different people and what God is doing, right? Is it Paul is wanting them to endure by the things taught in Scripture. So you take the story of someone like Abraham and Sarah, right? They were given this huge promise that they were going to have a child. It took 25 years for that promise to come about. Now, you know the story a little bit, right? They took it into their own hands, and they really messed things up when they tried to do that. And God said, no, it's not Ishmael. I'm going to give you a child. And it was supernatural. It was miraculous. It's an amazing story of hope because they saw something in the future. There was something that God had promised them that only he could fulfill. And so we read these stories and, and we get excited because we saw Sarah and Abraham trying to trust God. And of course they suffered. That's why he's using the word endurance, right? To teach us so that through the endurance right through these things that are difficult he already talked about suffering in romans romans chapter 5 he talks about suffering romans chapter 8 verses 20 and 24 and 25 he's talking about suffering and you know what it's like to suffer so you start reading a story like ruth in the bible what a woman of faith doesn't that excite you here she is she's living in a hardship time she loses her husband her mother in her mother-in-law says hey why don't you go back to your own people the moabites and she saw something in naomi and she's like no i'm not going back there i see something in you that's powerful and good and you start reading the story of ruth and she leaves her own people and she comes with her mother-in-law and they go back to israel and you know the story i mean it's an amazing story of how god redeemed this woman of faith and she becomes part of the line of the messiah because she believed god and there was this great hope so i read a story like ruth and i'm like wow i need to follow someone like that or i think of someone like jonah right god says hey i got something for you to do and he says no you don't and he takes off but what does god do he brings them back in the story of how god used jonah who was reluctant to be used you ever feel reluctant i do 
There's times when I want to hold back. There's times when I don't want to give all that. I sense God calling me to give. And I read a book of Jonah and I'm like, okay, God's going to carry this along, right? So you, you read these stories and they, they just move us along. How can you not read the story of Daniel? I mean, here he is. He grows up essentially in exile. And God says, I'm going to pick you to get into the king's court. Right? And he drags his friends along, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as I prefer to say, shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go, right? <laughs> so he gets these guys, and God uses them, right? But it was times of difficulty and times of suffering, times when, when they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and, and they said, you know what? You can kill us on the outside, but you can't destroy what's inside. You know why? Because they had great hope. And you just keep reading these stories, and I could just keep going, right? Because the Old Testament's full of these stories so that we have hope. Well, what's the hope? The hope is the promise that God, going all the way back into Genesis, promised to bless all the families of the earth. God had a plan that this life and this world, the way it is, all messed up, he's going to fix, and only he can fix, only he can change it, and he's bringing us there, and it fills us with hope. Do you know hope never goes away? You're going to be in heaven a thousand years, and your hope is going to keep growing. You know why it's going to keep growing? Because heaven's going to get better and better and better and more exciting every day. You're going to wake up one more morning and you're going to say, oh, wow, what does Jesus have for us today? And it's going to kindle your hope and excitement of this day is going to be better than yesterday and yesterday was awesome. Then the next day in heaven, you're going to wake up and you're saying like, wow, what does Jesus have? Yesterday was good. The day before was good, but today's going to be better. You know why? Because we're going to keep getting to know God more and more and you will not exhaust knowing God because he's infinite. So for all eternity, whatever that could even feel like, that fills us with hope. So if you're holding on to the things of this world, you're never going to see all that God wants. You're going to miss out on it. So Paul is just bringing these people back while there's this division in the church. Everything that was written, it was written to teach us, to show us. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the New Testament, saying, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in Christ. And he says, to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement, the comfort Oh, how can you not find comfort in the scriptures, right? They use the exact same words. Oh, my soul, why are you in despair? Why are you suffering right now? And, and the psalmist just sits in the mess knowing what? That this world is messed up. This is hard. Relationships are difficult. Strains are in marriages, right? Families today are just pulling apart at the threads. And God says, but I still have a plan. And that gives us hope. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't like the mom who says, hey, yeah, my son just got out of prison and he's been stealing. He's got a, a rap sheet that's as long as the, and she's like, but he's a good boy. I'm like, she's living in, dece in deception. <laughs> But God says, I don't want just wishful thinking. What I say I'm going to do, I'm going to fulfill. And that's the hope that we have. Verse 5, may the God who gives endurance, right, and encouragement give you the same attitude in mind that was in Christ Jesus. One mind, one 
voice. This is the unity. It's all bringing us together to celebrate and live for eternity with Jesus Christ. Well, hey, there's a lot more I could say, but let's go a little deeper in the passage real quickly. Verse 7, accept one another then. Right Now he's speaking to both. He's saying, okay, if Christ had one voice, if Christ had one mind, if he wanted to bring us all together, he's saying to the strong in faith, the weak in faith, he's saying to you, he's saying to me, let's accept one another just as Christ accepted you for this purpose, that you may praise, give praise, bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Or again in verse 10, again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is, right? I mean, Paul's just bringing it to a crescendo. Let us love others by accepting them, right? That, that's his second point here, is love others by accepting them. Let's accept them. Don't try to change them. Don't try to manipulate them. Don't judge them. Don't condemn them. Don't despise them. He says, love them by accepting them. Let's look verses 8 and 9. He says, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews. Right? He becomes a servant of the Jews. And then he goes on and says, on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. Right, that these patriarchs, what they had promised would be confirmed. And that's why I go through the Old Testament looking at these people, is God says God's going to do these awesome, awesome things. So moreover, right, we begin to see uh, verse 9, he says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes four passages out of the Old Testament. Four passages. Now, you and I, we read this and we're like, where are they? What is he? What he did, and it was so skillful. It was so wise. The Jews broke the Old Testament up into three parts. The laws, the writings, and the prophets. So these three parts, and what Paul does, that's really the sweep of the whole Old Testament. The writings, or start with the law, the writings, and then the prophets. So you got from Genesis all the way to Malachi. And what Paul does is he takes Scripture out of each part of the Old Testament. He takes Scripture out of the sweep of what God is doing. And what he's doing, and you can begin to feel it, is he's linking the Gentiles with the Jews. He's bringing the people together. 
And of course, the Gentiles are everybody that's not Jews. So it doesn't matter what ethnic group you're from. It doesn't matter who you are, right? And so he begins to pull all these together. And he says, I will praise you among the Gentiles. Meaning the Gentiles was going to begin to see this, right? Gentiles, uh, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. He's drawing out of all these different things. So the question then becomes, how can God right bring two people together how is god going to bring these two people together the jews and the gentiles verse 12 he says and again isaiah says the root of jesse who's the root of jesse well ultimately it's jesus christ right he says he will spring up probably an allusion to the resurrection would they have captured that in isaiah I don't know. But if you're reading with spiritual eyes, you begin to see, yeah, the root of Jesse will spring up. Not only that he'll sprout, but maybe an allusion to the resurrection. One who will rise to rule over the nations. That's the Messiah, right? And who will rise over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And so for the first time, not only the Jews have hope, but the Gentiles have hope. God is bringing them together. Why would the Gentiles have hope? Well, we already talked about this vision that Paul got. Come over here and help us. He's going to give them what they didn't have and what they couldn't invent. Hope. 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 Now, how do I know that they lacked hope? Because the ancient culture was continuing to indulge themselves in sensuality. Whatever they could do to please the flesh, that's what they tried to do because they had no hope. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture today. Because people have lost hope, because they have no sense of purpose, because they have no sense of future, because they have no sense of God at work. What do they do? They turn to drugs. They turn to sex. They turn to drinking. They turn to whatever they can do to satisfy their flesh, making money, living extravagantly, because there's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's nothing. It's Jesus Christ who alone can shatter the darkness. He alone can repair what is broken in this world. So... Let's look lastly at verse 13. Paul closes then with this prayer. May the God who gives hope, right? This God who wants to give you and me hope, hope in meaning, hope in purpose, that you're made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning, God created. You are a created being. You are created by God. You are made in the image of God. You were made to know God. You were made to worship God. May the God who gives hope fill you with joy, an overflowing joy, fill you with an overflowing flowing peace. That's what it's saying here in verse 13, right? Make this God, this one who has all things in his control so that you may overflow or abound in hope in and through by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what the Greek culture was lacking, what this man was crying out, come over and help us. They did not have the hope of the gospel. And neither does our nation anymore. So that's why we need to be telling and showing people the story of Jesus. 
come help us. Now, there's some people here right now, you have lost hope. How do you kindle? How do you, how do you flan, fan the flame of hope? Stories. Stories. Read some of the stories of the Old Testament and watch how God broke in. Read Acts 16 and how God was redirecting them. Paul wanted to go west and the Spirit says no. Paul wanted to go north. Paul, the Spirit says no. The Spirit will do the same thing for you. It says in Acts 16, it's the Spirit of Jesus that prevented him. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll be the shepherd of your soul. I'll be the one who will guide you. I'll send you another company. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. So while we're waiting here right now, right on this side of glory, there's a darkness, there's a shroud around us, but it doesn't mean that we can't have hope. But a lot of our people are living in the darkness without hope. And God wants us to have hope, to believe in him, to trust him that this world is coming to an end and a better world is coming and it was made for you that know Jesus Christ. And it's going to be awesome. There is no way you could be disappointed in what God has for you. Let's pray. Father, there's so many in our world. They're waiting in darkness. There is no hope out there apart from Jesus Christ. But you sent your son, your one and only son, to fill our hearts with hope, to give us a vision of the future. So God, we pray that we would receive it. Let us read the stories, God. Let us see how you moved in the lives of beautiful women, women that struggled in hardship, but they came out trusting you. Men that were struggling to believe you, that you had a plan, but God, they brought, you brought them through. May we see what you did in them and trust that you'll do that and more in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.